0: My name is Mike Holloway. I'm the, one of the assistant pastors here at Omaha Bible Church. Pastor Pat is in Massachusetts this morning. He had been invited by the elders of church there to come and preach on the 20th anniversary of his brother Mike's ministry in Massachusetts. So I'm privileged to be asked to fill in for Pat this morning. Most Bible stories are about men. Men are often the center of the Old Testament stories. We read about Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua. And while women are mentioned, they are not usually highlighted or central to the story. Not so in our story today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to look at 1 Samuel 1 and chapter 2 as well through verse 10. That section of scripture focuses on Hannah. The question we want to ask is why did God start the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel by focusing on a woman? Why start the story of 1st and 2nd Samuel, which really the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel are one book. They're they're not two books. They're, They're simply divided in our English Bibles for convenience sake. Why focus on Hannah for 38 full verses at the start of the books of Samuel? And why did God choose to start the book of 1 and 2 Samuel with this woman? Genesis starts with Adam. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy start with and revolve around Moses. Guess who the book of Joshua starts with? Yeah, Joshua. Joshua. Why does the Lord God, the, the ultimate author of the book of Scripture, inspire the human author of the book of First and Second Samuels to begin with the story of Hannah? Let's begin by looking at the setting of the story and the main characters in Hannah's family in verses 1 and 2 of First Samuel 1. There was a certain man of Ramath Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So first there is Hannah, Elkanah's husband. Elkanah has two wives, which tells us a couple of things. First, Elkanah is fairly well off. He can afford to support two wives and their children. Second, two wives is a problem. While the fact of having two wives is not the central issue of the story, the rivalry between them is, as we shall see. Second, we are introduced first to Elkanah's wife, Hannah. Hannah has no children. In this ancient Jewish culture, the main role and expectation of wives is that they would bear many children. Hannah, despite her desire for children, has none. Third there is Penina, Elkanah's other wife, who in contrast with Hannah, has lots and lots of children. The rest of our passage this morning is divided into three main parts. First... The comfort of God's presence in the midst of trouble. That's chapter 1, verses 3 to 18. Second, God's gift is delivered and returned. Chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. And third, the way our Lord works in His world. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So first, the comfort of God's presence in the midst of trouble. Look at verse 3 of First Samuel 1. Now this man, her husband Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. At this point in Israel's history, the temple is in Shiloh. It is not yet in Jerusalem. And Eli is the high priest over Israel. And his two sons, who would inherit the high priesthood, Hophni and Phinehas are there. Verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. The fact Hannah does not have children is no accident. In fact, the Lord kept Hannah from conceiving for a time, as we will see. For his own purposes. The Lord will use this in a mighty way. To deliver his people. As we'll see. Look at verse 6. And her rival, that's Penina. Used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Penina taunted Hannah, irritated Hannah, and this went on year by year. You can almost feel the heartache from the text, the pain in Hannah's heart. A pain so deep, it's like a sickness that takes away your appetite. For Hannah weeps, and she even rejects the very food that would sustain her. Verse 8, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more than ten sons? Um, Clearly, Elkanah has a very high opinion of himself here. Um, Verse 9, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah arose. his head as she continued praying before the lord eli observed her mouth hannah was speaking in her heart only her lips moved and her voice was not heard hannah is in deep deep anguish she is bitterly weeping hannah's heart is hurting and where does she turn where does what does she do She turns to the Lord. To the Lord of hosts, she calls Him. The the Lord of armies of angels, she prays to Him, speaking to her Lord intimately. Let's pause here for just a moment. Where do we turn when our heart is hurting? When things aren't going the way we had hoped, do we get down and sad Or do we get angry and frustrated? What, what is our first instinct? Hannah could have responded in many different ways. She's clearly sad. Our Lord knows her heart, just like He knows our heart. He knows when we're sad, when we're lonely, when we're frustrated, when we're angry. And He doesn't tell us to hide. He doesn't tell us to run away from Him or or deny it or indulge it, but to come to Him with it. To pray to Him is to depend on Him. It is to trust Him. In the midst of our anguish, we can trust the Lord, for He is with us always in the midst of our troubles. Hannah is humble in her sorrow. She calls herself the Lord's servant, several times. Praying to our Lord is an act of humility before Him. It shows our trust. It shows our dependence upon Him. We can learn from Hannah in this. Look at the end of verse 13. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Remember, her lips were moving, but no sound is coming out. Verse 14, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Here we have a humble woman, troubled in spirit, but still trusting in and depending on the Lord after many, many years of disappointment and affliction. She's comforted by the very presence of God and the reassurance of His priest in Israel. Let's move on to the second point. God's gift is delivered and returned. Chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Hannah intends to fulfill her vow to give her son Samuel to the Lord, but not until he is weaned. And in, in, in ancient Israel, that would have been at about three years of age. Verse 23, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull And they brought the child to Eli and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. Very famous verse. For this Lord I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah is faithful to her vow. She prayed for and asked for a son, and the Lord gave her a son. And now, she will give that son back to the Lord. Dedicating Samuel to priestly service in the Lord's temple. While you can imagine the torture that might have been for her to give up her only son, to give her only child over to Eli, the high priest, to raise and bring up in the ways of the temple. Yet there's no indication in the text that she was reluctant to do so or that she hesitated. Perhaps a little bit of her heart is seen when Hannah says she has lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. That is... In her love for little Samuel, she has not given him away. Just lent him to the Lord for his use and for the Lord's purposes. This has all been in preparation for the climax of our passage. Chapters 2, verses 1 to 10. While we've seen Hannah cry out to the Lord in prayer for deliverance from her trouble, this prayer from Hannah to the Lord in the third section of our passage is packed with personal praise, but also with eternal truth. Truth expressed not only in the Lord's dealings with Hannah, but also truth about the way our Lord works in this world. And with hints and foreshadowing that points to things to come for Israel and also things to come in God's eternal plan of redemption for the world in Jesus Christ. Let's look at our third section The third point, the way our Lord works in His world. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. In this first section of Hannah's Prayer, sometimes called Hannah's Song, we see her absolute joy over her salvation and joy over how great God is and who God is, about his character. Her heart and strength are exalted in the Lord, and in the salvation He provides to Hannah. She praises the Lord as incomparable, unlike any other in holiness, in perfection, in purity. There is no one like the Lord in this respect, and He is a rock like no other. God is a place of refuge, a stronghold in times of trouble. Hannah knows this from personal experience. And verse 3 makes clear that Hannah knows he is a God who does not tolerate pride and arrogance. In fact, he is the God who knows men's hearts and judges men's actions. In these opening words of her prayer, she tells us who God is. And now in the second section of her prayer, in verses 4 to 8, Hannah will tell us what God does. Here God is telling us through Hannah how he has chosen to work in his world. Look with me at verse 4. And see that in God's world, he has chosen to exalt the humble and humble the proud. In God's world, verse 4, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Do you see the reversal of fortunes that the Lord is bringing about here that Hannah is describing for us? The Lord God judges the proud. The proud and the arrogant of this world who are rich. He judges the well-fed and well-bred. In positions of worldly power and honor, He brings them down. And while doing that, He brings blessing and exalts the humble, the lowly, the feeble, the poor, the hungry, the barren, and raises and lifts them up to sit in the place of princes and inherit the seat of honor as His children. This is how the Lord works in His world. The Lord has set the world on this foundation. It rests on these pillars. Now, these things may not happen in this life. They they may be in the next life to come. But the Lord will make this happen. This is the way He works. And in choosing to work this way in the world, Hannah now turns to the climax of the whole section, of the whole prayer in verses 9 and 10. Because in working this way, Hannah now highlights how the Lord will deal with the people of the earth in light of this truth. Verse 9, He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The theme continues. Might will not win out ultimately. Worldly riches and power will not prevail. Rather, those who have faith in the Lord, those who are weak by the world's standards, will have victory. Hannah goes on in verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And how will the Lord accomplish this? Look at the end of verse 10. He will give strength to His king and exalt the horn, that is the power and strength of His anointed. The Lord will do this through a king. The Lord promised Israel a king in Deuteronomy. It is through the strength and power of the Lord's anointed, of the Lord's king. The anointed one is the king in Israel. Look back at the second line of Hannah's prayer in verse 1 of chapter 2. Hannah says, My horn is exalted in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. The, The idea of a horn is the strong horn of a bull. It's a symbol of power and strength. Hannah's strength is in the Lord. She is exalted in the Lord. This is humble, lowly, barren Hannah who is exalted now by the Lord. Now look at the very end of Hannah's prayer, at the last half of verse 10. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. There are two exaltations going on here in Hannah's prayer. The first in verse 1 is a kind of mini-exaltation or, or mini-salvation. A, a little picture of salvation as Hannah might call it. But the second is much bigger. For the horn of the Lord's King is now exalted. In verse 10, the question that that last verse of Hannah's prayer begs is, who is this king? And be careful here. Don't jump too far ahead just yet, anyway. Remember what I said early on in today's sermon, that first and second Samuel are really one book. So let's jump to almost the end of 2 Samuel, to 2 Samuel 22, verse 1. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 22. 22 and verse 1. And let's see who this king really is. Who is this king whose horn is exalted, whose God is the rock, just like Hannah's God? Chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So now we have another prayer, another song. This one from David, not from Hannah. Verse 2, David said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior. Look down further in Second Samuel towards the end of the chapter to verse 47. The Lord lives And blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Jump down to verse 49. David still praying, still still singing. Who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. Great salvation He brings to His King, and shows steadfast love to His anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Now I ask you, who is the immediate fulfillment of Hannah's prayer? Who does God give strength to in order to defeat His people's enemies? Who is the Lord's King, the Lord's anointed, whose horn is exalted? And who is this one? That in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when Hannah's son Samuel is sent by God to look for the next king of Israel among the sons of Jesse... Well, when he goes to Jesse's house, Jesse doesn't bring, even bring out before Samuel this one David. Matter of fact, he leaves David in the field to watch the sheep. Why? Because David is so young and David is so small and David is so weak that he can't possibly be the anointed king of God's people. Well, of course... David is the one that God has chosen. David, the the young, the the unexpected, the the small. The one who doesn't seem to measure up to his brothers. Because in the story in 1 Samuel 16, all the brothers get paraded before Samuel. And Samuel has to say, that's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. Do you have any other sons? Well, yeah, I got this little young guy out in the field. but God's going to raise David up. The young, ruddy man who defeats the giant Goliath and defeats Israel's enemies, the Philistines. It is David who the entire book of 1 and 2 Samuel are about. 1 and 2 Samuel is the story of David becoming king in Israel. It's why Hannah's story in prayer opens the book. Because in the plan and purpose of God, it is her son Samuel who God sends to seek out and anoint David to succeed the proud and arrogant and worldly Saul. David is chosen to lead Israel. A humble son. But we're not quite done yet with Hannah's prayer. For there's another king we want to talk about this morning the birth of a king announced to another humble young woman by the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. The angel told Mary, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And just a few verses later in Luke, Mary responds to God with a prayer of her own, a song of her own that echoes Hannah's song. Both prayers, both songs start with rejoicing at the Lord's salvation. Praise God for his holiness. Condemns the proud, exalts the humble, shows concern for the poor, and rejects the rich and arrogant. And once again shows the Lord working in this world by reversals of human fortune. And the Lord works this way in order to faithfully provide for His people. Listen to the words of Mary's prayer. And note how similar it is to Hannah's. It's almost another arrangement of Hannah's prayer, a a riff on Hannah's prayer. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now it shouldn't surprise us that Hannah's song and Mary's song are so much alike. Both are written about the same Lord, who works in this world and in this way, according to his sovereign plan and purpose. And his purpose and plan ultimately points to a greater king than even David. To Jesus, the son of David. And how did this king Jesus come? And what did he do? This king, the son of God, was sent by his father from the glory of heaven to come down to earth, to become a human being, to be born in a dirty, stinky stable "...of a humble young woman of modest means, whose earthly father raised him not as a rich prince, but as a simple carpenter. And he came for the express purpose of dying a humiliating, torturous, criminal's death on a cross. A death that he did not deserve, in order that our sins, your sins, and my sins, might be forgiven." and we might be guaranteed eternal life with Him through His resurrection by simply believing and trusting in our Lord, just like Hannah and Mary did. Talk about a reversal of fortunes. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul from Philippians 2. As he describes our responsibility in light of the way God works in this world, through our great Savior Jesus, the one who is the immediate fulfillment of Mary's prayer and the ultimate fulfillment of Hannah's prayer. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of of others have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men to the glory of God the Father. How does God work in this world? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He calls us to humble ourselves under His mighty hand, so that at the proper time, He may exalt us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, keep us humble. We thank you, Father, for the great salvation we have in Jesus, who humbled himself, humiliated himself, by voluntarily and willingly giving up the glory that was his in heaven with you, To become a human being. To suffer the temptations that human beings suffer. To live the life of a man. To grow up as a child. To become a man. To be humbled once again. In the most dramatic of humiliations on a cross on a hill called Calvary in the city of Jerusalem, almost 2,000 years ago. May we be humbled by that. May we see your plan and purpose executed and brought to fruition even through the scriptures as we see it in Hannah. And you're delivering her from her trouble. Thank you for Hannah's humility. Thank you, Father, for her prayer. Prayer how you are a God who exalts the humble and judges the proud and arrogant. May we acknowledge we are humble sinners before you in need of a Savior. And that we would trust in Christ even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.